Week one is officially in the books. Some things went as expected, a lot of things did not go as expected. And of course, everyone is overreacting to everything. Let's get into it. Hey, it was BYOG, bring your own guts! Fourth and five, the national championship on the line. Got the big man! I think Notre Dame got it right there! Welcome to the show. Let me just apologize right off the bat for my voice. It's a little raspy. I lost it cheering and yelling at the Florida State-Virginia Tech game this weekend, which, if you were paying attention, did not go my way as a Florida State fan. So I yelled even more than usual, probably, which I'll talk about that later. But getting into the weekend, we had a lot of awesome matchups. We were blessed with another fascinating and exciting week one for a number of different reasons. We had some of our big matchups live up to the hype. We had some obviously expected things play out the way we thought we would. We had some matchups not live up to the hype and kind of go the opposite way, which surprised a lot of people. We had some teams not perform to what we thought their standard of level would be at this point against some inferior opponents. And the main thing is that there are a ton of unknowns and everybody's overreacting to everything that happened. So let's dive into some of the games, some of the expected and unexpected things, and I'll tell you why I think in almost every game there's a massive amount of overreactions that need to be cooled down. Let's start off with the most obvious thing that happened, an expected thing, which was Alabama dismantling Louisville in their kickoff classic game in Orlando. Nothing surprising there. Alabama does this to almost every team they play in a kickoff classic, whether they're a top 10 team or an unranked team like Louisville was. One thing that was expected in this game, but a little different than what Alabama usually does, is instead of the traditional Alabama wearing you out defensively and slowly blowing you out over the course of four quarters, they got right after it offensively with Tua Tungavailoa playing very well, making some awesome throws really showcasing the skill position players they have. That new freshman, Jalen Waddell, looks really good, really athletic, really agile. Of course, Devontae Smith was out there catching touchdowns. Uh, Jerry Judy caught a long touchdown. They, kind of as I predicted, are just looking very explosive on offense, very different than what Nick Saban's offenses normally look like. They're really coming out and attacking you. And although I still think over the course of the season, we'll see the defense possibly take a step back from last season they in this game played very well they looked just like the typical Alabama defenses we see and that's just what happens when you're replacing everybody with five stars and four star talents across the field with the best coaching staff to prepare them now where everyone's overreacting to this is you see tweets like Alabama is not going to trail all season long and people are acting like this is 
the best Alabama team they've ever seen, and I really don't think that's true. I think offensively, yes, like I said, this is a very different Alabama team that attacks in different ways, but I still see this Alabama team taking a loss at some point in the season like every Alabama team does. I actually, after this opening weekend, think that this Week 3 matchup against Ole Miss could potentially give Alabama some trouble just because of the way Ole Miss's offense works and the fact that Ole Miss plays Alabama really early in the season where their lack of depth isn't going to come into play as much as if they were to play them late in the season. So Alabama still, to me, does look like the best team in the country right now. Probably they're deserving of that number one ranking. But even though their offense looks better than than they have ever really been under Nick Saban, I still don't think that as a team they look better than they've ever looked under Nick Saban. That's not to say that they're not going to make the playoff or even win the national championship because they probably will. That's just what they do. But I still think that they might have some flaws get exposed as the season goes on defensively as they start to face more accurate and precision quarterbacks. And it looks like there's a few more of those in the SEC West than we originally thought. One of them being the LSU quarterback and Joe Burrow. So let's segue over into that game. So Miami and LSU played in Arlington. This one was on Sunday night. And it basically was kind of a flip-flop of the rankings. You had number 8 Miami versus number 25 LSU. And it kind of looked like those rankings should have just been reversed. And obviously I feel kind of dumb now because I had Miami in the playoff. And based on what we saw, it doesn't look like that's possible. It's possible based on their schedule. I mean, the reality is if Miami went undefeated from here on out and won the ACC championship game, they would be in the playoff. But based on what we're seeing, it just doesn't look like they have the quarterback play to get that done. You know, I kind of said before the season, you know, there's teams like Miami, Notre Dame, Michigan, and they're all very similar. They have a lot of the pieces there. It's a matter of if their quarterbacks are going to be good enough to get them there. And whereas in the Notre Dame game, which we'll break down later, where it looks like their average quarterback took a slight step forward and is decent, Miami's quarterback, Malik Rozier, I mean, it could just be that the LSU defense was very good, but he almost looked like he took a step back from last season. He just did not look good. I mean, Miami has the pieces pretty much everywhere on their team except for the offensive line being dominant and the quarterback play to make a playoff run. But those are probably two of the most important things you need to make a playoff run in college football. So we saw an LSU team that came out defensively and played pretty much like all the classic LSU teams under Les Miles that we've been used to. And their offense even played extraordinarily well by the standard that I think a lot of people had for them coming into this game. Rushing the ball, like I said, we wondered who was going to be those running backs that emerged, and we got two of them. The guy leading the charge was Nick Brosset. He's a senior. He's waited a long time to make an impact, and it was definitely, I would say, worth the wait for him. Joe Burrow, the grad transfer from Ohio State also came in and looked very good. He was definitely above average, and it looks like he's that missing piece that LSU needed at that position to really take them over the top this year. Now, if anybody overreacts more than anyone else, it's definitely SEC fan bases. You already had LSU fans calling into the Paul Feinbaum show asking, 
what if LSU and Alabama both make the playoff? Is that possible? And it's like, okay, guys, pump the brakes, slow down. LSU looked very good, but it's possible that Miami was is gonna or is going to be an eight and four team this year. You know, maybe that's their ceiling. And even if Miami's an eleven and one team this year, sometimes you just have bad games. LSU was more prepared. They played a better game. They forced Miami's quarterback to play terrible and they had the better day that day. That doesn't mean that, you know, if they played eight more times that they would dominate all of them, even though it looked like that on that night. And LSU's schedule is about to get ridiculous, folks. Let's start off with in a couple of weeks, they play Auburn, who we'll talk about them in a second, but they look really, really good. And then they have one of the toughest stretches you can have with Ole Miss at home, then they're at Florida, then they play Georgia. That is a tough one to pull out of the East on top of Florida. Then after that game, they have Mississippi State, then they have Alabama. And then two weeks after that game, they're at Texas A&M, who looks a little better this year. So even if LSU is drastically better than we thought they were going to be, there's still at least, you would think, two, maybe three losses on that schedule just because of how tough it is. And the reality is, if you go 9-3, and three, you're probably, one, not winning your division, and you're not winning your conference, and you're probably not going to the playoff. I mean, there, no, there's no way you're going to the playoff at 9-3 and three unless we just have the most crazy year of all times where everybody's going 9-3, and three, and I, that's probably not going to happen. I know I said I don't see anybody going undefeated this year, but I also don't see a year where everybody goes, you know, 10-2, and 9-3. So slow down, LSU fans. Be excited and just take it week by week. But if you start giving yourself playoff hype right now, you're overdoing it. Except the fact that you just beat a really good Miami team in your kickoff game. You're 1-0. But you haven't played any SEC games yet, and it only takes one or two of those SEC losses to not be able to win your division. And the SEC West is always one of the toughest divisions. And on top of that, the two games they pull from the other division happen to be Florida and Georgia. So not the luckiest cross-division games that they have. Now, it looks like they're going to be capable of being way more competitive in a lot of those games than they thought. I think LSU's defense could give Alabama a run for their money. They definitely are going to be able to play good against Florida. I think they have a chance against Georgia. But when you look at all those games in a row, it's just that would be hard for anybody, including Alabama or Clemson or anybody, to go undefeated through that. So I think that's one area where people are overreacting and need to just pump the brakes a little bit. And then, of course, the other overreaction is that, oh, Miami is garbage. Miami is terrible. And that is probably a little more realistic than LSU going to the playoff based on what we saw in this game. But at the same time, Miami has weaknesses. And if you are good on defense, you can expose those weaknesses because they don't have a dominant offensive line, which is one thing you need to make a deep run in college football. And their quarterback has flaws. He's just limited in what he does. He cannot make those third down and long throws to keep drives going. And when you come in and you shut down Miami's run game and you force their quarterback into obvious passing situations, you have a very good chance at beating them. Miami's defense is still very dominant, still loaded with talent. They still have a lot of guys in offense that can make plays. 
they're still probably going to win eight to nine games at the worst, unless they just let this loss ruin them and they fall apart mentally. But let's not think that, oh, Miami is just this terrible team. They're, they're still good. And at the end of the day, their whole schedule is in front of them. And it's still probably more likely that they make the playoff over LSU just based on schedule. Even if LSU is better than Miami, which they obviously proved on Sunday, at least that day, they were a hell of a lot better than Miami. But Miami could win the rest of their games, possibly, if things go their way, and then upset a team like Clemson in the ACC championship game. And then guess what? They're in the college football playoff, where LSU might actually be the better team, and it looks like they were are the better team, but they could end up losing three SEC games and not even make a New Year's Six Bowl game. So, And you can say, well, that's just not fair, and that the SEC is really good, and that's just what happens, and whatever. That might be true, but that doesn't matter. Okay, it doesn't matter how good your conference is. I don't know why everyone gets so big on this conference pride stuff. If you go nine and three, you're not going to be in a better bowl game than a team that goes eleven and one. It's just not going to happen. So let's just not overreact with what we saw on that night. That night, LSU was way better than Miami. They kicked their ass, and they made their quarterback look terrible. But we still have the whole season to be played. And from there, I want to get into a game that. I think people were overreacting to more before it was played than after, and that was the Auburn-Washington game, which was by far, in my opinion, the best game of the week weekend. It looked like a traditional SEC championship game or a playoff game, a strong defensive battle between two teams that looked very, very impressive to me. Auburn's defense was just outrageously good. They were all over the field, flying to the ball, making plays, really putting pressure on Jake Browning. And that being said, Washington's defense was really good too. Their D-line struggled a little bit. They had a hard time stopping the run game and the short passing game. But their red zone defense was just awesome. Like It seemed like every time Auburn got into the red zone and they were on a drive where it just looked like, oh, they're going to score. You know, Auburn's always good at giving you that feeling of during a drive that, oh, they're going to score a touchdown here. Here they go. And they would get down to the red zone, and then all of a sudden the Washington secondary would tighten up and their defensive front would play just good enough to force the field goal. And they did that a lot of times and really kept them in that game. Washington's offense is good, but again, Jake Browning's one of those quarterbacks that is fairly limited, and they had a hard time getting Miles Gaskin going because of how good the Auburn defensive line was playing. So just kind of like that LSU-Miami situation, Auburn was able to put Washington in a lot of obvious passing situations, and that's where Jake Browning can sometimes struggle. He still played very good, I think. He showed his toughness. That kid is a tough kid. He took some shots and stood in there and made the throws, made plays. There were two phenomenal catches in this game for touchdowns, one by Auburn, the other by Washington. And again, I'm not here to break down every part of the game necessarily. I'm more just trying to talk about my reaction to the game and debunk a lot of overreactions to the game. Washington is definitely not out of this thing. Now, most likely they can't lose another game, but going into this game, everybody was saying, if Washington loses, they're out of the playoff. There's no way. And that was just so dumb to me. I don't know why people say that type of stuff. There's no team that is out of the playoffs now after week one. There's no team. Now, you might say, based on how a team looked, like Florida State, for example, or Miami, 
that they're probably not going to the playoff because you're expecting them to lose again. But there's no team that the loss they had by itself knocks them out of the playoff. Every team that lost a game this opening weekend still has the chance to go 11-1. and And 11-1 and conference champions are making the playoff. The only teams that can knock an 11-1 and conference champion out of the playoff is four better 11-1 and conference champions ahead of you or like possibly a Notre Dame 11-1 and team that's ahead of you. Those are and those are that's rare. It's pretty rare that if you finish eleven and one and win your conference, that there's going to be four other eleven and one conference champion teams that beat you out. The only other time that that has really happened has been in two thousand and fourteen, when you had Florida State go undefeated, Alabama was an eleven and one conference champion, Oregon was an eleven and one conference champion, and so was Ohio State. And then you had. Baylor and TCU both sitting there at 11 and 1 that didn't play in a conference championship game and the Big 12 was left out probably because of that conference championship game. But other than then, we haven't really had 11 and 1 conference champions getting left out of the playoff over other teams. The controversy has really been between two lost conference champions like Penn State in 2016 and last year Ohio State. So again, you could just like in the LSU-Miami game, you could say that Washington, from here on out, has an easier path to the playoff because they kept that game really close. As long as Auburn finishes 8-4 and four or better, that loss is going to look pretty good. And if Washington wins out and goes 11-1, and one, they're going to make the playoff, most likely. Where Auburn, being in the SEC West... They have a lot of potential losses in front of them. And it's not that Washington doesn't. Washington has to play Stanford. That's going to be a tough game. Washington has to go to Oregon, which is going to be a tough game. But other than those two games, Washington, as long as they stay focused, should get through the rest of their games. And if they do that and go at 11-1 and and Auburn stumbles and goes 10-2 and and doesn't win their division, then Washington's in and Auburn's not in. Now, I will say that a 10-2 and Auburn team that does win their conference will, would probably get the notch over an 11 and 1 Washington team because of that head-to-head matchup and the strength of schedule that Auburn has. But it's hard to see Auburn going 10 and 2 now and winning their own division because that means those two losses would probably be SEC losses and that means that Alabama, LSU, all these other teams in the SEC West, you know, Mississippi State would also have to have at least two losses and Auburn have head-to-head over them. And where would Auburn's losses come from going here on out? Probably LSU, Mississippi State, or Alabama. So it's going to be hard for Auburn to lose two games and win their division. If they did do that, though, and won the the SEC, they would get that notch over the Pac-12 winner if the Pac-12 winner is Washington at 11-1 because they do have that head-to-head matchup in Week 1. And that would be a really good example of how that week one matchup was very important, right? So Washington benefits from this game, I think, more than Auburn, even though they lost the game. And that's not to say Auburn didn't benefit. Auburn benefited tremendously from going out and beating a very good Washington team. You never don't benefit when you go out and win an opening game, especially one of this magnitude. But there's just a lot of different takeaways from this game that I think a lot of people aren't saying. And 
it does seem like most of the experts and people covering this game are saying now that Washington still has a chance, which thank God, because I think it would be pretty dumb to say otherwise, where going into this game, everyone was acting like, this is the Pac-12's only chance. If Washington loses here, the Pac-12's done. And that's just stupid, people. I mean, there are other good teams in the Pac-12, like Stanford, USC, Oregon's right there that has a chance. If any one of those teams goes 11-1, and or better even, and wins the conference, they're probably going to make the playoff. Now, I understand when people look at those teams and say, hey, there's not a very high likelihood that they will finish with that record. And I know that's what most people are saying when they're predicting the Pac-12 being left out. But the season's very young, and I think it's way too early to say, oh, well, Stanford doesn't have a chance to go 11-1 and or better. USC doesn't. Both of those teams have opportunities to get really big wins that, if they had the right record, would for sure catapult them into the playoff. So I think people need to pump the brakes on saying the Pac-12's out. If anything, Washington proved that they are more than capable of making a playoff run. I think they played a very, very good Auburn team, and they took them down to the wire about as close as you can go. Their defense looked phenomenal. I don't think there's a better defense in the Pac-12, so they're going to be pretty solid there. When they finally get their run game going again, they're going to be very hard to beat. So look out for Washington this year. I still have them in the playoff, as I predicted earlier, and I still feel pretty confident about that. Another area where I was right and feel even more confident about than I did before is Notre Dame. So we all know Notre Dame played Michigan in their opener at home. It was a really good game for the most part. I think a lot of people were surprised at how well Notre Dame played. Notre Dame played pretty much exactly how I thought they were going to play. Both these teams were very similar. And I said it, it's going to come down to quarterback play and which defense is actually better than the other. A lot of people were just so high on Michigan's defense, and for good reasons. But people were overreacting when they said that Shea Patterson was going to come in and be this guy that now takes Michigan over the top. Several people had Michigan winning the national championship, including, you know, Desmond Howard, which that doesn't really count. I mean, Desmond Howard also had Shea Patterson winning the Heisman. So obviously there's a little bit of bias there, but it's not a bad pick. And Michigan still has a very good chance to make the playoff. I think they just lost to a playoff caliber team on the road in week one. And even though Harbaugh haters are going to say, oh, once again, he didn't win the big game. I wasn't expecting Michigan to win this game because I think Notre Dame is better, especially right now. Their defense showed that they are dominant. Like I said, they're loaded with juniors and seniors. They're very disciplined. They wreak havoc. And their offense did not skip a beat. I mean, Notre Dame lost two very talented, we're talking like once-in-a-five-year type players on their offensive line. Two of them gone to the NFL, and their offensive line looked very good against a really good Michigan front and Michigan defense. And Brandon Wimbush, unlike Malik Rozier for Miami, he took a step forward this year, it looks like, at least from this opening game, and played good enough to let all the other pieces fall into place and make the made the plays that Notre Dame needed to make in the crucial moments to win this game. Notre Dame came out hot early. They scored on their opening drive. Then they scored again pretty recently, and then they held on to their lead that they got with their defense. Now, Michigan did come back late and make it a game, but if you take away a Michigan 
kickoff return for a touchdown, Michigan basically trailed 24-3 for most of the game. And, of course, they did get that kick return touchdown, so it was 24-10 for a while. They ended up losing 24-17, and Notre Dame's defense gets most of the credit for that because once Notre Dame went down and got the lead, they held on to it, and the defense forced several interceptions. They forced a fumble at the end, which was the dagger. And even though I do see people, for the most part, recognizing Notre Dame and giving them credit and seeing that, wow, they could be a playoff team this year or definitely at the very least a New Year's Six team, people are acting like, oh, Michigan all of a sudden just fell off. Well, how does that make any sense? If Notre Dame is a potential playoff team, New Year's Six Bowl bound team, then how is Michigan just devastated by this loss? It's a very good loss. The two teams right now with the best losses are by far Washington and Michigan. And Michigan's loss might be better because it was on the road. Now, the Washington game was also basically on the road. That was like a 90% Auburn crowd there in Atlanta. But Michigan was playing at Notre Dame, a super hyped game. The energy was nuts, and they came up short. But Michigan, again, just like Washington, just like Miami and all these other teams, they have a chance to go out and get some really big wins this year. They still have to play Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan State, and Ohio State. They win those four games and don't have some sort of terrible slip-up. They're definitely going to the playoff, assuming they win, win the Big Ten. But a lot of people are just writing them off, hating on Harbaugh. Harbaugh's going to win one of those big games this year, if not two, if not three. And if he wins all four, he's all of a sudden a playoff team, and then everybody jumps off his back. And I think the expectations people just have for Jim Harbaugh in Michigan are a little ridiculous. I mean, Jim Harbaugh came in and, and has been doing a really good job at Michigan. I mean, he's one bad spot away from being in the playoff a couple years ago in 2016. So I just think people overreact to the Harbaugh stuff a lot. He's a good coach. Michigan's a good team. They just didn't get it done in their opening game against a very good Notre Dame team. And Notre Dame has a chance going forward to have, I think, one of the best seasons they've had in a long time. Their schedule plays out pretty well to where when you zoom out of it, it looks like it's just as hard as any Notre Dame schedule, and it is, but when you break it down week by week, they have a lot of space in between their big games, with the exception of the Stanford-Virginia Tech game back-to-back, and after this weekend, it looks like Virginia Tech, especially on the road, is going to be a lot tougher of a game for Notre Dame than we thought going into the season. So, outside of those two games back-to-back, Stanford and Virginia Tech, then they have nice, decent stretches before you know Florida State coming into town, and then they end the season at USC. So they're going to have a lot of time to prepare for those games, and I definitely feel really good about my pick in putting Notre Dame in the playoff this year. I think they're still a very good team. I think Saturday night just showed that even more, especially defensively, and I feel confident now in the offense. It looks like Brandon Wimbush, like I said, is taking those steps forward and he's going to be a good quarterback for this team and get it done. Their rushing attack was good. They had receivers making plays. They didn't make stupid mistakes for the most part. So watch out for this Notre Dame team, guys. Seriously. And also, don't write off Michigan. Michigan could be right back in there at the end. Okay? It's a lot easier to look at the rest of the Big Ten and go, oh, look at how good Ohio State played. They're better than Michigan. Well, no, Ohio State played a terrible Oregon State team that won like a game last year, I think, and Michigan went to Notre Dame 
and really tested themselves. So don't write off Michigan either. Let's keep everything in perspective. Like I said, no team that lost is out of it. And Michigan has the best loss so far of the season by far. Besides, maybe also you could argue Washington with Auburn. Those two losses are very good, and neither of those teams are out of it by any means. Now, Michigan definitely has a tougher road ahead of them than other teams that lost, like Washington, like Miami, because the Big Ten East is is very tough, and they also play Wisconsin. They already played Notre Dame. So the likelihood of them losing another game is high just based on their schedule and a 10-2 and two Michigan team probably wouldn't make the playoff. But the nice thing is, is Michigan can't afford to lose a Big Ten game and then go to the conference championship game since their other loss would be Notre Dame, who's that's not a conference game. That doesn't affect the Big Ten race. So if they still win the Big Ten going 10-2 and two with a very tough schedule, they don't control their own destiny in that situation. But depending how other things play out, they would get the nodge over a lot of other teams. So don't write off either of these teams. Obviously, no one's writing off Notre Dame after the win, but Michigan is still right there with the opportunity to win a lot of big games. I definitely think Michigan's going to a New Year's Six game this year. I think they're going to be second-best team in the Big Ten, maybe third behind Penn State. And let's get into that game now because I think a lot of people are also overreacting big time to Penn State barely beating Appalachian State at home to start the season. And I understand that. I'm a little nervous too because I have Penn State in the playoff. And I will say that I don't feel quite as good about that as I did before. But I'm definitely not looking at Penn State as like, oh, well, they're definitely not going to the playoff or they can't win the Big Ten now. No, I don't feel that way. Appalachian State is a good program. They were very hungry for that game, as a lot of these group of five teams are when they go and play these opening games against these big power five schools. And I think it's always nice when you have to go and win a game in a clutch situation. McSorley showed once again that he's a very clutch quarterback, that when you know crap hits the wall, he has everyone's back and he can go make plays for Penn State. I think Penn State, this was just one of those games where they kind of got an early lead, and because it's that opener, Appalachian State, they think they're going to kind of run away with it. They pull off the gas a little bit, where Appalachian State was just hungry, determined that whole game. So they made plays, they kept it close. But every time Appalachian State came and really seemed to like, like they had the game in their bag, Penn State was like, okay, wow, this team did come to play, let's turn it back on. And then they went and always made the plays to get it done. They didn't seem panicked. They seemed very calm, collected, both the coaching staff and all the players. Even though this game went to overtime and should have some people a little weary about Penn State, I understand that you would look at their defense a little differently now and think, okay, maybe they have some question marks. But again, some of those throws that the Appalachian State quarterback was making were just absolute dimes, and they had some receivers making great plays. You could tell that this was a Super Bowl-like mentality for Appalachian State, where Penn State obviously wasn't matching that intensity once they got up. But once they got down, they brought that intensity back up and they went and got it done. And that's not something you can say about a lot of teams. So Penn State is still, I think, the best team in the Big Ten. You could argue, you know, Ohio State, Michigan looked more impressive, even though Michigan lost, as we just talked about. They played a very, very good team. Ohio State played a terrible Oregon State team and they 
totally ran away with it. All their skill players looked amazing. But I still think Penn State has the chance to do very well. Like I was saying in my preview, I don't think their rushing attack is missing a beat. Obviously, you can't replace Saquon Barkley as an individual talented player. He was an absolute stud. But Penn State's overall rushing attack efficiency doesn't look like it's going anywhere. Miles Sanders and Ricky Slade both looked really good. Their offensive line gave them good holes. Ricky Slade, this true freshman, looks like he's has the potential to be one of the next big-time Big Ten running backs over the next three years. And obviously this year with McSorley and the weapons he has at receiver, don't look for the offense to really slow down at all. The defense might need some work again, but I think Appalachian State really came to play and just had a little bit of the edge when it comes to the mental game and the intensity that they were bringing to the field that day. But there's nothing wrong with being tested as long as you come out on top. And I think this game is really going to benefit Penn State going forward. If anything, it's going to force them to go, you know, wow, we can't take anything for granted. It might create sort of a healthy humbleness that goes throughout the program again because they didn't lose, but they can sit back and go, okay, we were supposed to probably perform a lot better, and we just went to overtime with this team that a lot of people thought we were supposed to run over, so maybe we need to practice harder, maybe we need to do these things. And they look like a team that if they do put a little more focus in, that they will be really good. And I still think Penn State is going to be the best team in the Big Ten. I'm still pretty confident about them being in the playoff, maybe not quite as confident as I was, but I think people are overreacting once again with, now they're just totally writing them off. They're looking at what Ohio State did and thinking, okay, Ohio State's by far the best team in the Big Ten. And that might be true, but I still don't think you can write off Penn State because of the fact that they played this really close game with that Blashen State. I still think they're very good, and they're not going anywhere. Now I want to talk about one of the most surprising, I think, outcomes this weekend, and that was Virginia Tech just absolutely dismantling Florida State. Probably... The most surprised people in this are the Florida State fan base. I'm not as surprised as a lot of them are because obviously I'm a huge Florida State fan. That's my team. So I listen to a lot of Florida State radio, the media hype. And most everyone just had the belief that they were going to beat Virginia Tech pretty bad. They all accepted the fact that it could be a close game. But most people were not anticipating a loss. And no one thought there was any way in hell that Virginia Tech was going to come into Tallahassee and do what they did. And I was not expecting Virginia Tech to come in and shut down the Florida State offense the way they did. But I definitely was thinking that there was a chance that Virginia Tech could, one, beat Florida State. And that was just not something a lot of people had in mind. Now, I was surprised the way they did it, obviously. Like I said, they came in and pretty much shut Florida State's offense completely down. Florida State's offense just looked terrible. Their offensive line specifically just did not get it done. And I think one of the more frustrating things as a Florida State fan, I will say, is the fact that Willie Taggart definitely looked absolutely shocked and surprised. Like, he had no idea that this could happen, which that can definitely be concerning for Florida State fans, I think, because it's not just that they lost. It's the fact that they lost and their coach looked... Like, he didn't have his team prepared. Even though all the signs were there, everyone felt good going into the game. But Bud Foster is a mastermind defensive coordinator. Let's not forget when he beat down on Ohio State in 2014, that Virginia Tech team was not that good, and that Ohio State 
team went on to win the national championship. Now, obviously, I don't think Florida State's going on to win the national championship. But I do think Virginia Tech is a lot better than a lot of people anticipated. Remember, this is year three under Justin Fuente, who you knew was going to slowly be building this program in the right direction. Their quarterback, Josh Jackson, played pretty well. He's good. The receivers that were basically no names before this game showed that they're capable of making plays. And one positive thing to take away from Florida State is their defense. After giving up a touchdown and a field goal right out the gate, they played pretty well the rest of the game. They gave up a, a long touchdown in the end of the game when it was basically over. But for the most part, they s- stood firm and gave Florida State's offense all the opportunities to come back in this game and make plays. But time and time again, the Virginia Tech defense just did not let Florida State get into a rhythm. Or every time Florida State did get into a rhythm, Virginia Tech would then step up and force a turnover, get a sack, force a third and long that Florida State couldn't convert. And I will definitely say that it seems like Virginia Tech has taken Miami's place as the team to beat in the Coastal Division of the ACC. Of course, there's Florida State fans reacting heavily now, thinking that, you know, Willie Taggart might have been the wrong hire and blah, blah, blah. And only time will tell. I would say calm down. There's been plenty of coaches that in their first year or first game did not do well. I mean, you can look back to 2009 when Chip Kelly first took over that embarrassing loss they had at Boise State where I think they only scored eight points, you know, before turning things around and having a very good season making the Rose Bowl. You know, look at Nick Saban's first year at Alabama where they only went like seven and six, and then it's pretty obvious what they've built since then the last 10 years. So there's no need to really read into it too much. The reality is, I think, is that Florida State coaches, fans, and players all bought into the hype that they were really good, that they were better, more athletic than Virginia Tech, and that if they just came out and played pretty well, that they should beat Virginia Tech in four quarters. And the reality was is that, no, Virginia Tech came to play. They were probably feeding off all of that hype reversely and using it to their advantage to come out and prove something, and they just punched Florida State in the mouth. Their offense did right from the get-go, and then their defense did the entire game. So... Florida State, I think, just mentally wasn't prepared for what was coming that night. And, you know, we don't know. Maybe Virginia Tech isn't that good, but maybe they're really good. And just because we don't know and weren't aware of all the playmakers that Virginia Tech had doesn't mean that they weren't a lot of very good players waiting to unleash their talent for the first time. Justin Fuente's been recruiting well for them. He's a good coach. He's building the program. And... I would not be surprised at all if Virginia Tech goes on to even win the ACC. So, again, I'm not going to really break down any more games, I don't think. Again, like I said before, this podcast isn't necessarily about breaking down all the matchups, talking about all these different things that happen week to week. I think there's plenty of other podcasts that do a really good job at that. What I'm trying to bring to the table is more just saying a lot of the things that I think need to be said that aren't being said out there. So, Although this is a week one recap, my main goal here is to just kind of stress that we shouldn't be overreacting to all the different things we saw in week one. Just take it for what it is. We saw some things that made us scratch our heads. We saw some things that kind of confirmed what we were thinking. But at the end of the day, we really still don't even know much more than we knew last weekend before any games were getting played. A lot of these games can be totally deceiving and 
we lie to ourselves after these games. I mean, I'm sure everyone remembers 2016 opening weekend, Notre Dame, Texas, where we thought we were looking at two big-time teams playing this awesome game when the reality was is we were looking at two terrible teams playing each other, right? Look at last year, Alabama and Florida State. When that game was over, it was like, wow. We looked at that kind of like we're looking at this Washington-Auburn game. Like, wow, Florida State just had this really good loss. Obviously, people were skeptical because they lost their quarterback. But it was like, wow, Florida State played really well. And, and they did. But Florida State went on to be a 7-6 and six team that barely made a bowl game after that. And Alabama ended up being what we thought they were from that game. So anything can happen. Every matchup you saw could have been exactly what you thought it was. It also could have been the complete opposite of what you thought it was. And... Like I said, also, no team that lost is out of the playoff hunt. They might be out of it in the sense of the reality doesn't look good for them because you see future losses on their schedules, but there's no way to confirm that yet. Teams get better, and every team that lost is still alive. I know I'm repeating myself, but I just want to stress that because I think so many people have already written off so many teams. People have written off Washington already. That's so dumb. People have written off Michigan. That's also very dumb. I understand more if you want to write off, you know, Miami or Florida State because they got embarrassed and it's way more likely that they're not as good as we thought they were going to be. But even those teams could drastically improve, come back, and shock some people. Just like a lot of the teams that did well could not be as good. You know, Notre Dame. I think they're going to the playoff, and I feel good about that. But they could come out and lose to Stanford, and they could lose on the road to Virginia Tech. And all of a sudden, they're right back to being that same Notre Dame team that they are year in and year out. So again, I apologize. Normally, on a week-to-week basis, I'll want to get the week recap out on Monday. It was just hard this last week with, one, we had games on Sunday, or we had a game on Sunday and a game on Monday night, which I was at, and then I was traveling all day yesterday had to go to work today and I'm recording this podcast you know it's almost 8 p.m. now and I'm about to get it out and it's basically going to be Thursday by the time it gets out so I probably aren't going to do another podcast until next week when I'm recapping those games normally like I said I'm going to want to get one out on Monday and probably have a midweek one where I preview the matchups I don't really have time to preview the matchups going into this upcoming weekend, but real quickly, I think the main ones to look out for are, obviously, we have Georgia and South Carolina. That is going to be a good game. South Carolina wants this one bad. Will Muschamp has definitely been preparing for this game all off season, and he wants to go in there and beat Georgia, and I think South Carolina, at least coaching-wise, can defensively be ready to take on that challenge. I still think Georgia gets it done, but watch out for that game. It's at South Carolina. And it's going to be a good test for Georgia. And then the game I'm most excited for, I think, is Stanford-USC because I'm really curious to see what both those teams are. Again, those are the other two teams out of the Pac-12 that I think have the best chance to make a New Year's Six run or a playoff run other than Washington. So I'm really excited to see what happens there. It's going to be really interesting to see Clemson go to College Station and play Texas A&M. I think... As far as rosters are concerned, Clemson has the edge and should get the win. But let's not forget, Jimbo Fisher is the coach at Texas A&M now, and he knows Clemson probably better than anybody. 
He's beaten Clemson a lot of times, and he's never lost to Clemson bad. Even last year when Florida State was falling apart and having a terrible season, they still went into Clemson and gave them a run for their money. So from that standpoint, Texas A&M has a chance. It's also a road game for Clemson in a hostile environment. I think Clemson will get it done, but that's going to be a really fun one to watch. And again, I apologize for not giving a good breakdown on Week 2 games. I just... The way schedules and things worked out just didn't have the time. But again, like, subscribe. If you're on YouTube, leave a comment. Email me at letstalkcollegefootball at gmail.com. I'd love to answer questions either on the podcast or just sending you back an email. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have an awesome week two, and I will see you guys on Monday as we recap those games and get going further on with the season. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.